good Monday morning and welcome to another episode of the podcast Insanity, a peace of mind. I am your host, Stephanie. This is episode 125, and after some thought over the week, I have decided to stick with the three circles. And I'm going to address indirectly and directly some feedback that I have gotten, and I do appreciate the feedback. I am more than happy to help work through some of this stuff, and right now this seems to be the best medium to do it. The first thing I want to attempt to make clear is that whatever hangups or however you might find this particular tool difficult, I think that's completely understandable and to be expected in many ways because this is an entirely new way of communicating with another person. For most of us, it's entirely new. And in that new construct, there are lots of variables, which are also going to come out as very different ways of being in a relationship, communicating in a relationship, thinking about a relationship, and thinking about ourselves. And so this is not going to be easy. And I have, in some instances, encouraged people to start really small and start working this new tool in ways that are not big, that don't deal with heavy topics or heavy subjects, but are just, in many ways, just your basic day-to-day issues and communication. I stand by that. I encourage you to think small when you're implementing something like this. Another thing is that it may not resonate with you. It may be something that you can't wrap your head around or doesn't feel authentic or true or consistent with the way you want to be in relationships. And if that's the case, that's fine. Don't use it. You can just say, interesting, and I pass. Or begin to use the things that do work for you. That is also a good way to start changing the way you want to communicate. And there's nothing wrong with that. Another thing I noted in the feedback was what appears to me to be a tendency to overthink this tool. And without meaning to judge another person and their thought process, I would suggest that overthinking it gets us caught in the weeds. And the more we think about it, the less likely we are to try it. And so if overthinking it or thinking about it means you are thinking about how the concept of this sort of appeals to the narcissism in all of us, I would certainly agree with you to some extent, but it case that case in point feels like a bit of overthinking if we're trying to interpret this in the context of profound and spiritual higher truths without practicing this i would 
tend to think that that is overthinking it. If we are trying to piece through our understanding of this new tool in the context of virtue and attributes, and it is about anything other than what the virtue and attributes might be in the current relationship, meaning applicable in the here and now with the person you are in a relationship with, I, again, contend there is a bit of overthinking. And so my suggestion is to reduce the amount of thinking and increase the amount of practicing. And in that practicing, it's going to be probably messy and untidy at first because we don't know what we don't know. And learning a new skill is always a little bit tidy, untidy and messy. This is not a perfect tool. This will not work perfectly. But as I have contemplated it, and as I have contemplated the other pieces that go with my understanding of the three circles, I have found it to be the closest thing I personally can do to honor what I believe God's gift to mankind is, and that is agency. And then I have a whole bunch of other thoughts and a whole bunch of other experiences and understanding of things that continue to make me believe that if I can, I was going to use the word master, and I'm going to not use the word master, if I can continue to implement this in the purest way I know how, I can create more loving, more compassionate, more empathetic, and more godlike or Christ-like relationships than I can in any other way of any other way than I know of right now at this time of my life. And that is not to say that something else won't come along. And as I continue to hear this being implemented and taught, and as I understand and listen to other people talk about this therapeutically and personally, I see it as a gateway into more refinement, purification, justification, whatever words you want to use in terms of building and improving relationships. That's how I see it. And I believe the overthinking it at least for me, is a way to not implement it, but to analyze it. And if I'm going to get stuck analyzing it, then I understand my tendency would be to not practice it. And I don't know if that's true for some of you who are listening, but that has been true for me. Thinking about it or analyzing it or writing about it or doing anything other than actually practicing it is just my way of avoiding the discomfort of changing up 
my behavior. Some feedback I received was about conflict and contention and confrontation and kind of the different words that might be used or can be used to discuss what goes on in relationships. And I concede that I did not and was not willing to make a huge differentiation between any of those words. And I also concede that there can and probably is a huge difference in the definition and the description of those words. And so my recommendation for anyone listening or who felt like I did not do a good job of making that distinction, feel free and make the distinction on your own. I have done several podcasts about conflict and different types of conflict. And so you can go back and re-listen to those or read about it in any number of different places. And you can figure out what the differences between conflict, confrontation, or any other word that you want to use to describe what happens in your relationship circles any way you want to. And I don't think it fundamentally changes the practical application of the tool because the framework of the tool will always be the same no matter what the issue is. What will change will be the dynamic in expressing truths, the dynamic in keeping people out of your circle, the dynamic of staying out of someone else's circle, and the dynamic of being in the relationship circle. And so I agree wholeheartedly with those of you who believe that there is a pretty strong or significant difference between words like con- conflict, confrontation, disagreement, or anything like that. I I agree that 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 might and can play a part in how you see what is going on in your relationship, but the application of the tool, I contend, will remain the same. The way we are in relationships is almost never about the other person. It is almost always about us. And this concept is difficult to understand because we tend to want to make our problems about another person or because of another person. And I'm going to try really hard to tease this apart so that you understand what I mean. So I will start with the most obvious example that pops into my head. I work as a therapist and as a therapist, we see a lot of kids and we see a lot of kids whose parents have made the observation for good and for bad that their children are struggling and that they need help. And so they are doing anything from being proactive to reaching out in complete and utter desperation on behalf of their child. And this child can be young and this child could be almost an adult, but either way, they are reaching out on behalf of their child to get this child some help. And very often it comes with this, these nuances that the child needs to be fixed. Something is wrong with the child. And so because we love our child, we want you to 
support them, help them, give them tools, give them a place to process, give them a place to work on themselves so that they are no longer broken. And it actually makes perfect sense. It is a very typical and certainly an understandable framework within which to think of things. A lot of times these parents are noticing difficulties in school, they're belligerent, they might be engaging in behaviors that are risky and go against the values of the family. It could be substance use, it could be sneaking out, it could be, uh, you know, uh, promiscuous, sexually risky behaviors, any number of things that the parents believe are identifiable as problems and you got to fix the you got to fix the kid and that again i'm going to reiterate how i completely resonate with that i have spent many years of parenting thinking similar things and it has not been until i have transitioned out of parenting teenagers that I have learned to think differently about this. Now, the way I think differently about this goes with what I said. Any of that stuff that I or another parent decides to reach out for help for is not about the child. The child is the one exhibiting the behavior. I'm the one who's afraid. I'm the one who is scared that this behavior is going to maybe ruin their life or wreck their chances for a good education or take them down a path that I don't want them to go down. Any way that I feel afraid or worried or scared or sad or frustrated or disrespected is about me. So if I'm sitting with a parent and the parent is telling me all the ways they are helping their child graduate from high school and the child is oddly enough not showing a lot of appreciation for it they're not thanking their parents for helping them in fact they're pretty unresponsive or defiant about not taking the help the way it was intended I say, why are you doing that? And the parent says, well, because um, he has to graduate from high school or he can't go off to college. And I say, and why is that your problem? And they say, well, because I love my child. And I say, okay. And what would be the problem if they didn't get into a college? Well, they wouldn't be successful. And I say, and how is that your problem? And they say, well, because I don't want them living with me forever. And I say, okay. So this kind of conversation goes on and on and on with the idea underlying all of this is that I want a good child. I want a successful child. I want a happy child. I want a child who is not using drugs and who is not sneaking out of the house so I can feel better. And that's what I mean when I say that most of the hiccups and most of the difficulty in this particular communication tool are going to come not as a result of the other, but as a result of you. I'm going to give you an example or 
a scenario that I hope illustrates what I'm talking about here. And I will go ahead and use the school one. And we're going to assume that I have a child who is failing out of high school. Today in 2023, there is a lot of school refusal going on. And I, as a side note, I believe it has a lot to do with COVID, but let's just assume for one minute that I have a child who is failing out of high school. And I am the parent who cares very, very much about this because I don't want my child to fail out of high school because I do believe that it limits their options and that it will make their life harder. And I do believe that I know this from my own personal experience and maybe my age and my, okay, I have to give you, I have to pause here for a minute because there is some weird yelling going on in the background of my podcast because I believe my daughter is yelling at my husband about watching a baseball game. So if you could hear that, I apologize. Now, let's go back to the child who is failing out of school. And as the parent, I have a lot of really reasonable, in my mind, good reasons why I don't want this to happen. So in that, I have turned my efforts into managing my child's education. I check their Skyward or their Canvas or whatever grade platform your school is using. I print out their assignments that they're missing and hand them to them and ask them to do them and make sure that they get them done. And I'm the one who is constantly monitoring whether their homework has been turned in or not. And I am the one who is laying awake at night, worried that my child has not gotten all the assignments in. And this is very hard on me. And it's also hard on our relationship with the child because in the, in the tool of the three circles, I am 100% in their circle because I am managing their experience of high school. I am managing their experience of their last few months of high school where they could potentially not graduate. And I am laying awake at night and I am nagging and I am getting resistance and we are in a lot of fights and arguments. And I am not paying one bit of attention to the reason behind all of this. I just believe that this is important for me as a parent to impose on my child. And I'm not wondering if I'm doing this because of my value around education. I'm not wondering if I'm doing this because I'm afraid it will look bad on me as a parent if my child doesn't graduate from high school. I am not wondering if I had a similar experience with my parents in high school and I am just repeating a pattern. I am not wondering if I am afraid that them not graduating from high school will mean I have to support them. All I am wondering about is why they're not listening to me, why they're being disobedient, and why I can't control them. That's what I'm wondering. So in the relationship circle, or excuse me, in the three circles tool, my truth would sound like, 
it's important for me that I keep track of your education because I really want you to graduate from high school. That's my truth. So to another person, what does that truth sound like? It sounds like control. It sounds like a lack of confidence. It sounds like someone else is in charge of my life. It sounds like nobody asked me what I wanted. It sounds like nobody is curious about what's going on for me. What it sounds like is it sounds like my mom wants me to graduate from high school because she has things that are important to her. What if my truth was more honestly stated and it sounded more like I'm carrying around my own concerns and fears about you not graduating from high school and I don't know how to manage them right now and I just want you to know that that's what's going on for me or that sounds very much like I am in my circle stating my truth and staying out of my child's circle. That's how you do it. That's how you state a truth. But until you can be honest about what's going on for you, and until you can be honest about how your experiences, your educational history, your parents, your teenage years, what you're worried about, until you can be honest about all of that stuff, you are perpetually going to pretend that everything you do is in someone else's best interest. And that's just fundamentally not true. And so I want to take that concept and move it into another topic that's come up as feedback, and that is persuasion. Okay, so let's assume for one minute, I want to persuade my child that graduating from high school is in their best interest. Why is that not appropriate, you ask? Why should persuasion not be part of the relationship circle? And I'm going to, I want you to keep in mind what I just talked about so that you can think about persuasion. So the first question I would ask you as it relates to persuasion and in response to the question, why can't I use the relationship circle to persuade someone? My first question is, why do you need to persuade someone of something? Now, obviously, this is a rhetorical question, but it is an incredibly important question. Why do you feel the need to persuade somebody of something? Is it because you know that a high school diploma is much more beneficial than perhaps a GED? Is it because you know that graduating from high school is going to open up doors that would not be opened to someone who did not graduate from high school? Is it because you as a child did not graduate from high school and you know the difficulty that you had? What is behind the desire to persuade? Is it 
about something specific to you? Is it about some experience that you had? And how would you go about using that information in the relationship circle? I'm going to propose that in the relationship circle itself, there is not a lot of room for persuasion. And by that, I mean persuasion in that it is my desire to put forth information for the sole purpose of changing somebody else's mind. If that is your goal for persuasion, I would not take it into the relationship circle itself. Now, relax, because clearly in life, there is room for persuasion. And so let's talk about how to deal with something like this in the relationship circle. So persuasion, without actually working to persuade, per se, can be done a handful of different ways. One is to share stories, okay? Share stories about your experience. If this issue your child graduating from high school is really important to you, and obviously it is for many of us, then you can share stories about how you struggled in high school and how you had to just dig in the last few months and make it work. And you can share your experience about how hard that was and how difficult that was for you. And you can share your experience that you are glad you did it. If you did not graduate from high school and you had some consequences because of that. You can share those experiences. Those experiences can be shared in the relationship circle as stories, as information that your children may or may not know about you. And those moments are connecting and they are communicating to your child that you are seeing and hearing them perhaps in their own struggles instead of being the parent who is forcing this or mandating that or yelling at them for this. So your truth is part of your experience. My truth, I'm going to just play this out. So my truth in this is in this instance related to this issue is that when I was in high school, it was really, really hard for me to get through the last couple of months. I had senioritis. I didn't like my classes. I had to take things that I didn't want to take because of some problems that I had had my junior year. And it was a real struggle for me. And I'm really glad that I had the support that I needed to push through. And I'm here to support you if that's something that you want. That is a truth that can be stated in your circle. And then you can take the other's truth and perhaps meet in the middle. But if you have a child who is going to resist your help or support, that's where it becomes about you. If you can't tolerate their dismissing of your help or support, then you're going to continue to be in their circle. You are going to chase after them. You are going to remind them that you're right and they're wrong. You're going to tell them that their truth on this issue is half-baked and not even articulated well enough for you to listen to them. You are going to do all kinds of things to get in their circle because you have to control how you feel about this issue. 
And that's your stuff, not theirs. And if you're not going to do the work to find out what your stuff is, then there's going to be a lot of toe stepping in the relationship circle, a lot of toe stepping, because you're going to think it's about the other person. And so persuasion is done by storytelling. Persuasion is done by asking if you can share an experience. Persuasion is done by asking if they would be interested in hearing your solution to this problem. Persuasion is done by getting curious about what is going on for the other person. You don't just have a superior idea, state it as your truth, and then demand that someone get in the relationship circle with you so that you can change their mind or persuade them. It's your job to manage the discomfort of knowing that there are people you will never persuade of anything, or you will never persuade them of certain things, and chasing them, and insisting that they come back into the relationship circle so you can persuade them of your higher or better truth is just getting in their circle. And the damage that comes from that is that in the case of children or young people, what you're telling them is that they are incapable of figuring out their own life. Now, at the moment this is taking place, you might believe they're incapable of taking care of their own life, but that's not the point. If it's other issues with other people, the the insistence or the demand to persuade them of something that you believe is so gosh darn important just shuts people down. They'll tune you out. They'll have no interest in being in a relationship with you because you are not a respecter of boundaries. You think it's more important to persuade them of some higher truth or some more significant value. And so they'll just avoid you. And in the real world, that makes sense. Okay, so let's talk about other ways to persuade. You could write it all out. You, If you have some really wonderful thing or belief, okay, so let's say I want to persuade somebody that, oh my gosh, I can't even think of anything, that one author is better than another author. Okay, simple thing. Uh, but I want to persuade them. And so we are trying to have a conversation and somebody believes that I'm stuck. I can't think of any authors, but this comes up fairly frequently for some silly reason in our relationship. And it always ends up in someone being a little bit annoyed or miffed that this conversation has to take place again. But, you know, maybe I'm an English major. Maybe I'm, you know, trying to be a writer. Maybe I have real passion for this subject. And so I could actually write a paper. I could write my thoughts down on paper as to why I believe that this author is better than another author. And then I could just, 
I could just hand that to people or I could present it to someone or I could ask them if they would be willing to read it. And I wouldn't have to spend any time in the relationship trying to convince somebody of something that I believe or that I think is important or that I think is superior. I'm not sure that was a perfect example. No, none of my examples are perfect. But the point I'm trying to make is that you could write something down. If you have an expose of sorts that you would like to present to someone because you believe this passage of scripture means this, or this comment in this talk at this time heard under these circumstances means this, or anything like that. You don't have to do it in the relationship circle. You could do it in a lot of different ways and not assault people and deprive them of their agency when they don't want to be in the relationship circle with you. So I hope that dealt with persuasion a little bit. So I'm going to remind you that the definition of persuasion being believing that you have a superior truth or a superior idea and going into the relationship circle for the sole purpose of convincing someone that they need to change their mind or their behavior or their ways of being in the world because yours is better, that there is never room for that. Never in the relationship circle. So figure out why it's so important for you to have to persuade somebody of something. Because it's not about them. It's about you. It's your fears. It's your insecurities. It's your history. It's your parenting. It's your family of origin. It's your, whatever your particular disorders are. That's why you feel the need to persuade people of something. Another thing that came up was how do you teach this to children? And when and where in the teaching are you getting into your children's circle? Which is a really good question. And I'm going to start by saying that you, a lot of the stuff that you teach to children comes by modeling. So if you're modeling this with your kids and you're trying to you know, speak honestly about what you're seeing or noticing or feeling in a particular incident and then inviting them to respond to you in a way that encourages them to speak what they're feeling or seeing or experiencing in it. And then with that curiosity and connection, you are automatically, so to speak, in the relationship circle. So you have a small child or a young child who is maybe they're picking on their siblings and it's pretty bad and the siblings are pretty unhappy and you feel like this is a significant enough issue that you need to talk to the child about it. So I think there are two things going on here. One, you have your own reaction to observing or being told by the younger children that the older sibling is being mean. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is maybe you want to teach your older child how to practice the three circles so that she's not, or he's not being mean or unkind to the siblings. 
So let's deal with the first one. This is your observation. You see this. And your truth is that perhaps you're concerned that she or he is maybe more bossy than is necessary when speaking with the children or her siblings or his siblings. And so the question and the observation is, I'm I'm noticing that you're maybe having a hard time with your little brothers and sisters. And it's kind of concerning to me. Uh, is this something that you would be willing to talk about? Now, yeah, it's a lot more work and it's a lot more emotionally connecting than just literally yelling at the kid, punishing the kid, or telling the kid to stop being so mean. If that's what you're thinking, you're right. Why do you have to go through all this work to make this connection? Well, because we want to model how we want them to grow up so that when they're in relationships, when they get older, they have these skills. So the model is to take the time and the energy and the effort and the language and the connecting with your child to say, this is what I'm noticing. And, you know, kind of it makes me feel a little frustrated and sad or whatever. You know, it's, it's hard for me to watch it when you treat your siblings like this. Can you tell me what's going on for you? And then your child will offer up their truth. And their truth will be whatever is going on in their head at the moment. Whatever emotions they're feeling might depend on how old they are. You know, if they're a 9 or 10 or 12-year-old sibling, they might say, I'm really tired of them being in my stuff all the time. I can't stand them being in my face. And, and right now, I don't really like them very much. That could be the truth. And then going into the relationship circle could be a little bit of a problem solving. It could be some connecting and some hugging and saying, it makes sense that you would be frustrated. How can I support you making some, doing something different, doing something not so angry or not so loud or not so mean to your siblings? And so you have modeled the whole thing for the child. And again, I'm just picking out random examples that may or may not be very good off the top of my head, but you can do this with anything. The problem comes when you are not expressing the truth as it relates to you. Because if you have to be a good parent and your children have to treat each other nicely in order for you to be a good parent, then that's about you, not about the circumstance or what is going on in the relationship between your children. That's about you. We don't really get to be good and still have this tool work at its most effective. So that is my, that's one way that you can teach it to kids. You, if your kids are old enough, you can actually sit them down and begin to teach them the structure of it and teach them what boundaries are and teach them, most importantly, how to figure out how to express what their truth is. Now, remember, I'm not talking about anything other than your feelings, your beliefs, your experiences, your memories, what you want, what you desire, what you wish for. This is not a selfish endeavor. This is not a narcissistic endeavor. This is just figuring out who and what you are. You would be surprised at how many people have no idea this, how, what they like in the simplest of ways. They don't know what they like because they've never taken any time to think about it. Some people 
think they know what they believe, but in reality, don't really know what they believe. So this is not about being selfish or self-absorbed. This is just about figuring out some things. Another thing that Emma talked about last week that I would like to reiterate because it is incredibly important is the three circles communication tool is not a way for you to keep people out. It is not a way to create rigid boundaries so that you don't have to deal with hard things. It is a way to state your truth, figure out your truth, listen to another person's truth, stay out of their circle, go into the relationship circle. And when that doesn't feel like it accomplished anything or it worked, or it resolved anything, then the idea is to go back out into your own circle. Don't chase after someone into their circle to get them to believe or think or even stay in the relationship circle. And then when you're in your circle and you've got some peace and you've got some quiet and maybe you're mourning a little bit because what just happened didn't work, you are able to come back with, I think Emma's word was abundance, with more to offer to give it a go again in the relationship circle. If you are using this to constantly step out or constantly keep people out of the relationship circle, then you're not doing it correctly. On the flip side of that, if instead of mourning or being sad about someone who is not willing to stay in the emotional, stay and do the emotional work in the relationship circle, but instead are chasing after them and telling them that they have to stay in with you, or they're your spouse and they can't leave, or you've made a promise and you have to stay. Anything like that is getting in another person's circle and it is depriving you of the experience of being sad or hurt or let down or whatever feelings come up for you because someone refuses to stay in the relationships circle with you. And I said it before, and I'm going to say it again, you are not a more virtuous person by staying in the relationship circle when somebody else walks out. That is just your truth. That's all. Your truth is that you had more capacity to stay. Their truth is they didn't. No one is better or worse. And I don't care what relationship you are in, because the idea is to go out and to fill yourself with the necessary emotional stability, regulation, self-care, values assessment, uh, pondering, contemplating the experience. And that can only be done in your circle. That kind of thing cannot be done in the relationship circle if there is too much dysregulation or too much dispute going on. So that is another bit of feedback that I got. And I don't particularly feel like there's much left to talk about on that issue, but give me a minute to think about it. I didn't mean for this one to be this long, but I'm not sorry it is. And I do recognize from the feedback that a 
lot more explaining can be done on this particular topic the three circles communication tool. And so I'm going to highlight really quickly a couple of things that I, well, more than a couple of things that I talked about. And I recommend that you listen to these episodes over and over and over again, and that you look at the blog post format because it's actually illustrated and gives you the kind of the resource material to work it. I recommend that you work it in small ways before you move to big ways. And these are the things that I talked about. I talked about persuasion. I talked about figuring out your own stuff. I talked about the idea that conflict can be confrontation, disagreement, contention, and anything of the like, but that I believed that the tool itself does not lose its practical application regardless of what the issue is. I talked about the idea of superior truths and staying in the relationship circle as a form of virtue signaling and that it is not, it is just the capacity levels. And I think that might be the bulk of it. What I would like to leave you contemplating, and I cannot stress this enough, and this comes from my work, this comes from my own experience, and this comes from what I observe from people. When you want to change another person's truth, when you need to fix another person, when you need to make them be or do or experience something different than they are being or doing or experiencing, you are in their circle. And the reason you are doing that is because you cannot tolerate the discomfort of what that experience means to you. And if you do not begin to acknowledge that and recognize that, then your work with this tool and in your relationships will be fraught with more conflict and contention or disagreements or whatever word you want to use, then you actually need to have. When you give up the desire to be good, then you can be free of all of this baggage that makes you want to change another person. If I don't have to be a good parent, then my child's choices are his choices. If I don't have to be a good friend, then when I, when I offend someone by my actions or my behaviors, all I have to do is make amends. I don't have to shame myself. I don't have to run and hide. I can just say, oh, you're right. I blundered that one. And I don't mean we don't strive to be good people. It's a different form of good. It's the good that makes us want to change other people that causes trouble in our relationships. The quote I'm going to leave you with this week is by Dr. Brad Reedy, and it goes very nicely with this communication topic. Keeping your mouth closed, managing your triggers, and listening with empathy and non-judgment is a powerful love language. May we all be able to do that and have a great week. 